0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. What I want to do is I want to springboard off of last week and kind of, we, we, a few weeks ago, we've had a lot of things going on uh, and different speakers with missions convention. And I, I started what I want to do is a series on the anointing. Uh, I'm going to kind of tie that together with what we talked last week on baptism, tie those two subjects together next week, by the way, I will be in Columbia, but pastor Kara will be preaching. And I'm telling you, I am so bummed. I don't get to be here, but I can watch the video, but pastor Kara is going to be here and you're going to want to be here. Uh, she's been practicing on Howell for years now, preaching to him. And uh, look at how he's turned out. So this is good fruit. Uh, so it's, it's going to be good. Uh, she's, she's a daughter of this house, was raised in this church, and she's got a real, as you know, she has a real touch of God on her. But it's not just for worship. She's got some word and some fire in her belly and some things that we need to hear. It was probably a year ago, her and I were talking, and she was asking me some questions and pressing pressing on some things, and I said, you know what, I want you, to, I want you to preach at Heartland. I want you to address some of those things, and uh, I really don't know if she's going to address those things this time, but uh, it's going to be a treat, so you don't want to miss Pastor Kara. We believe in women preachers around here, and uh, I don't have time to get into the problem passage where people hang it on that a woman shouldn't preach, but we believe in women preachers here. Uh, in the last days, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there was, uh, the, the one woman was rebuked not because of her teaching, but because of what she taught, her doctrine. If it was a problem for her to be teaching at all, John would have just rebuked her for her, and the Lord would have rebuked her for preaching at all, but he rebuked her for her content, not the communication, not her being behind the pulpit. So uh, it's going to be good next week. All right, enough about that. What I want to look at this morning is I want to show you very clearly from Scripture that water baptism and spirit baptism are very closely associated. We're going to be talking about the anointing. I want us to understand that God wants to empower us for service. There is an anointing that comes upon us that is for the cause, and we're to be gripped with that. Uh, Again, you know, that whole concept that with the Holy Ghost comes a Holy Go. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, He captures our heart and flames our mind, our hearts with a vision to call us out to get things done. And he empowers us to do with his anointing what we could never accomplish without it. Ministry is never to be reduced to the level of your finely honed natural skills. God doesn't call you to do what you can do after a lot of discipline and schooling. He calls you to do far beyond what you could do on your own. And if your vision, if your dream doesn't, isn't beyond you, then it's not a God dream. It's too low. It's too small. God wants to anoint you, empower you to do supernaturally with him what you'd never be able to do without him. And that is our not only our blood-bought right, but our responsibility for which we will give an account. You will answer to God for your calling, for the anointing you were supposed to carry, whether you carry it or not. Because the anointing on your life is connected to the assignment on your life. Anointing is always connected to assignment. And every one of us were born with an assignment. Paul puts it this way. There are works prepared in advance that you may walk in them. In other words, there's already... There's already works, there's a God-shaped hole in human history waiting in the future for you to step into it and fill it, occupy that space. But you've got to be prepared that one of the biggest tragedies of Christendom is when people arrive to their future unprepared for the works that they were supposed to do when they cheat the process and resist the process, so when they arrive at their future, when their future becomes their present, and they're unprepared for the works that they were supposed to do when they arrive. And so God is always working in our life, preparing us, and one of the things he does is his anointing comes upon us. And that anointing is gonna do two things. It's going to purify you and empower you. Now, you could could say that, the power is for purification and for ministry, if you want to put it that way, but the fact is the power of God coming upon you is going to also purify you to, and prepare you so that you can walk in what you're supposed to walk in in the future. And so we see when Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes to his cousin, John the Southern Baptist, he presents himself and he said, hey, I want to be baptized by you. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. It's in Luke chapter three. It says I'm not even worthy to. do it. And John says, "Listen," or Jesus says to John, "Listen, I've got to do this to fulfill all of righteousness." Water baptism is a righteous act. It's something we all should do. It won't save you, but it's a public, a public announcement to others. But it's also a prophetic act that actually enters you into a realization of what's already already yours okay so baptism you step into things and it triggers that reality and so we all need to be water baptized there's some of you have been saved for many years and never been water baptized and and let me just lovingly tell you as your pastor well okay i was going to say you're in disobedience you just you may be in ignorance you may have not known but you are to be water baptized because water baptism is very closely associated with spirit baptism, okay? Water baptism and spirit baptism are so closely associated. Let me throw out three scriptures. Number one, Ephesians chapter four. Paul said, there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism, How can Paul say there's one baptism? We have water baptism and spirit baptism. There are two sides to the one coin. They're the A and B of the one. You go down in the water and burial and you come up and the spirit comes upon you in your resurrection so that now you walk in newness of life. Another facet of that is you go down in the water dying to your self-life. Before Christ, we lived for us. Our priority was us. When we, when we go down in water baptism, we are saying sayonara to our self-life. We are gonna bury that old man under the watery grave and we come up and we're alive to the body of Christ. I'll, I'll, if we have time this morning, we'll have to probably get into that in another time. How, there's very, it's very clear in scripture, part of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to empower you for you to become, to function in your role and your your role in the body of Christ. Without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, without the anointing coming upon you, you are not going to be able to fully function in the role assigned to you. Now, I'm I'm not pointing a finger and saying, Pentecostal churches are better than those out there. I'm not talking about that. We all, there's equal, it's level ground at the cross. In fact, none of us can function without him. It's not that we're better than anybody else in believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I'm a little more worried about a segment of the the Pentecostal church that is Pentecostal doctrinally, but not practically. They believe in something, but they don't practice it. They have the doctrinal statement, but they don't have the experience. They are perhaps in more danger than those who don't believe in it at all. Because they've been anesthetized, is that how you say it? They've been, they, they comfort their soul with right doctrine so that they're not convicted over their lack of experience. They're content to say, I believe these things. Yeah, but have you experienced them? Are you walking in it? Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And he begins to unpack the power gifts of the Spirit. These signs shall follow them that believe. Is there enough evidence to convict you according to that standard? Is there power on your life? Are you walking in the power of God? If not, don't be condemned, but most definitely be convicted and get with God and say, God, I'm not letting go until you anoint me afresh. I need the power of God operating in my life. The last thing, especially America, the last thing the globe needs, the last thing humanity needs, but the last thing that America needs is unanointed people with solid doctrine. People that talk about things that they have no experience of, that they lay claim to things that they're not, there's no reality in their life. We are not called to talk people into a greater philosophy. We're called to usher them into the kingdom. And Paul was very clear. The kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. It's not a matter of words. The kingdom of God is not a doctrinal discussion. People need to be ushered in to the power of God. The gospel is the power of God, Paul says. And if you've received the gospel, but there's no evidence of power in your life, again, don't be condemned, but most definitely be convicted and recognize that for some reason your life is falling short of what Jesus purchased for you and he wants to give it to you this morning. And humble yourself and position yourself and awaken hunger within your heart and begin to ask. Ask and keep on asking. They who hunger and thirst shall be filled. And the danger is, as we end up ruining our spiritual appetite, hungering for more, with spiritual junk food called sound doctrine. Now, now hear me out here. Sound doctrine is important. But it's the menu to the meal. And you don't go into a restaurant hungry and read the menu and say, I feel satisfied. Great pictures. Man, your descriptions were off the charts. <laughs> you go in. You read about the meal in the menu, and then you eat and be filled And God wants to awaken our hunger through sound doctrine, but it's not good enough to merely believe right. We've got to enter into the reality, into the experience. I am deeply concerned about the Pentecostal charismatic movement. And even even that stream, that little tributary that I lay claim to as the revival stream, I'm deeply concerned that we are we get into charismatic bravado and talk about things and proclaim and lay claim to things that we're not seeing the reality in our life. Two and a half years ago when, we, when prayer began to tick up again in this house. I know that, that, that sounds true, but it's true. We've always been a praying church, but sometimes the little heartbeat was a little, everybody holds their breath. You know? I used to, the, the, you know who you are. I'd say to the ladies, we'd have our prayer meetings, and I would joke and tease them. I'd say, thank you so much for allowing me to come to the ladies' prayer meetings. Because it was me and a, it's some, some ladies. It weren't old ladies, just some ladies. Whoa, man, I felt the ice cracking. Felt the ice cracking. Hey, there were some young people there. I'm one of the, I'm, <laughs> Father, Lord, I ask that you fall, and Lord, just so baptize people, they forget what I said, Lord. I told someone the other day, I said, the demographic of the gray hairs in this congregation are the ones I'm with the most, because I be one. I really am. We pray together all the time, and I'm so grateful that they've been willing to give that season of their life. I don't feel like one until I look in the mirror, and I'm, I'm shocked. Who is that? Oh, But God wants to empower us. I know, I'm trying to pull out of this. God, God, God wants to empower us. Yes, it's, it's too late. Let me read you a couple verses here. Listen to what, uh, this is Luke chapter three, verse 15. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, what, whether he might be the cross. He's talking about John the Baptist or John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, Uh, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming after me, who is mightier than I am, is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So notice how John he he uses this almost like a parable. Now the word parable, literally in the Greek, the Greek word we translate parable, means to throw alongside. That's what the word means. And it, the idea is that we're gonna, we have spiritual truths, the kingdom, God's ways are higher than ours. We don't understand the spiritual reality. So God lays alongside physical reality. The kingdom, which we don't understand, is like a farmer, which we do understand. If we can look at it through the lens, we can get enlightenment. John does this with water baptism. He says, I baptize you with water. You can see what I do. Observe it. You can see what's happening. You go, you come in dry, you go down in the water, you come up, you're saturated. And dripping. What Jesus does with, I mean, what John, what I do with water, John says, the one coming after me, Jesus, is going to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, what he's telling us, the first time we see this idea of a baptism in the Holy Spirit. John is using water baptism as a helpful lesson for us to understand. The first time it's mentioned, he introduces this subject and he said, you want to know what the spirit baptism is? It's what, what I do with water. I take you, I put you in the water and you come up and you're dripping, saturated and soaked. The one coming after me, he's gonna do this with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's gonna put you down. The element, the environment, you are going to be submerged and saturated in is the third person of the Godhead. And you will come up soaked, saturated with him and dripping with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what he's saying. And so John tells us that In essence, if you want to understand spirit baptism, understand water baptism. Paul, again, in Ephesians, he goes on to call it one baptism because it's in in Pauline theology, the perspective Paul looks at it from, he sees it as two sides to the, the one whole. Down in the water, up in the spirit, just like Jesus. Down in the water, came up, the spirit came upon him. Then in Acts 19, we have Paul in the city of Ephesus. So let's look at this. Let me read it to you so that you know I'm really reading the Bible here, not making this up. You want to be good Bereans, amen? We want to go home and study the scriptures and see if Dave was a heretic. Acts 19, look at this. Okay, Acts 19, this is Paul's on one of his missionary journeys and at it, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, now, who's Apollos? Is he just introduced here? No. In Acts 18, Apollos is is introduced. He's also spoken of in 1 Corinthians. And Paul said, Apollos was an eloquent teacher, very learned in the Hebrew Scriptures. He was a very eloquent man. I, I happen to think that he very well may have been the author of the book of Hebrews. But Apollos was a very learned man. But it says in, in Acts 18 that he, but he, was, uh, he, he fell up short in some of his doctrine. He was very learned in the Hebrew scriptures, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He didn't know of the, the Christian baptism nor did he know of spirit baptism, okay? So that's very key because Apollos in chapter 18 is in Ephesus, and he's teaching, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He had all these disciples. And so then a Priscilla and Aquila show up, this apostolic husband and wife team, and they arrive, and they begin to disciple him, and they taught him the scriptures because they realized he's, He's not, there's some things he doesn't understand. And And uh, Luke is very careful to tell us that in Acts 18. Why? Because of Acts 19. So now look at what he says. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he left with Priscilla and Aquila, left Ephesus where his ministry was, leaving behind his disciples, and went to Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. While he was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? and they said no we haven't even heard there was a holy spirit and he said into what were you baptized and they said into john's baptism now stop right there there's a whole lot in that little phrase there and there's a reason that Luke mentioned what he mentioned in acts 18 so we could unpack this in 19 it is very clear from the context that these disciples were born again disciples of john the john, i mean of apollos rather It mentioned John only knew of the baptism of John, even though he was an eloquent preacher of the gospel, saved. And Paul finds all these disciples, clearly his disciples, that were born again believers, and he said, did you receive the Spirit since you believed? He understood they were believers. They're called disciples, but they didn't know there was a baptism in the Spirit. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Clearly, Apollos' disciples. So what does Paul say to them when he finds out they're not baptized in the Spirit? He says, well, what were you baptized into? You see how in Paul's mind, these two things are connected, the receiving of the Spirit and water baptism? When they said we didn't receive the Spirit, he said, well, what were you baptized into? And they said John's baptism. And so Paul solved that by baptizing them in water. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is Jesus, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying, there were about 12 men in all. So there's a number of things, there's a number of reasons that little story is very important. Number one, to realize the connection between water baptism and spirit baptism. They really are two sides to the same, to, you know, two sides to this one act of burial and resurrection. And there are people who are baptized in the Spirit before they're baptized in water, but that is not the norm. It's not what God intended. I was baptized in the Spirit before I was baptized in water, because I I I don't know. I just just didn't get baptized in water until I came back to the Lord. I got baptized in the Spirit about twelve years old. Backslid and immediately entered right back into that. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, the Spirit of God came on me, and I began to operate in spiritual gifts again, and then I got in some discipleship, and they said, hey, you need to be dunked in water. I said, yes, sir. But that is not the way God intended. It's down in the water, up in the Spirit, like Jesus, okay? Another thing we can derive from this passage in Acts is that in Paul's mindset, I don't care what a TV preacher says. I don't care what a modern author says. I don't care what any... Let God be true and every man a liar. And Paul, a New Testament writer, states under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have you received the Spirit since you believed? And I would ask the same of you this morning. It is possible to be born again but not baptized in the Spirit. The receiving of the Spirit, that terminology in Scripture is not talking about salvation. Although you are born by the Spirit, the receiving of the Spirit is receiving Him as the third person of the Trinity and you are baptized into Him. We see this in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, remember, the resurrected Lord steps in, walks through the walls, the disciples are freaking out, and he said, don't be afraid. Uh, You know, it it is I, stick your hand in my side. And and then it says, John 20, he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. That was their born-again experience, okay? That's when they were born again. If you don't have the Spirit, you are not a son or daughter of God. You receive the Spirit as a deposit when you're saved. He comes to dwell within you. He is in you. Now let me just pause there. We see this terminology throughout the New Testament, not only in reference to the Spirit of God, but also to the Father and the Son. There, is, there are different, there, there's different facets to our relationship with God. I am in Christ, but Christ is also in me. Those are two different emphases and there are riches that we find in those two truths. And they're not one and the same. My position in Christ is not the same as me being a bearer of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory, but I am in Christ and grafted into him. The same is true of the spirit. When I get saved, the spirit enters into me in measure. But it's not the fullness of the Spirit. That is another term that is not just isolated to the Holy Spirit. The term, the fullness of God. There are measures of the gift of Christ in Ephesians 4. And the fullness of the measure of Christ in Ephesians 4. So we see this throughout the New Testament. And sometimes people will stumble over that. Like, well, I got the Spirit. When I got saved, the Spirit's in me. Understand. We've got to get our doctrine from the New Testament, not from how we feel about things. There is a measure of the gift of Christ and the fullness of Christ. There is the down payment in Ephesians 1 of the Spirit, and then there is the fullness of the Spirit. The difference is this. John chapter 20, Jesus steps in, breathes on the disciples, and he said, receive the Spirit. Do you think they did when he said that? Do you think they received that moment? They receive the Spirit in your Bible. Two chapters later, if you keep because the next next book is Acts, the next chapter in the Bible, Jesus is ascended, and then He tells them, "Go and wait for the gift of the Father. Tarry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you." It's a different a different experience in Christ. They receive the Spirit in measure in John twenty. They received the fullness in Acts chapter 2 when he came upon them. And so they're waiting. In John 20, he was pre- Jesus was physically present and breathed on them. In Acts 2, he was the enthroned Christ already sitting at the right hand of the Father and he in John 7, it spoke that this would, once ha- would eventually happen. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then John adds, this was spoken of Jesus and the spirit he would eventually give us, is a paraphrase. That it, it had not yet happened, but he was going to give us his spirit. That was the enthroned Christ being the baptizer in the spirit that John talked about. When John said, he will baptize you in the spirit, that is the function of his enthroned, his enthroned position. So when he breathed on them, they received it in measure. Spirit was in them. When he baptized them in the Spirit, they were in the Spirit. The very terminology, baptized in, literally means to submerge and saturate in. The first time we see this word baptizo that we translate baptism, first time we see it, the oldest document that we have that this word shows up in is a pickle recipe. And it's when you take a cucumber and you baptizo it into a pickle solution. You let it sit there, there ain't no going back. It comes out, it is thoroughly pickle I don't know if that's a word, but it is today. It, It is a pickle, it's been transformed. Its very nature is transformed. It, it, but it's been submerged. It's also used of the dyeing of cloth. There's a saturation so that every fiber of that cloth saturates that new pigment and it comes out and there's no going back. And so in salvation, you receive a down payment according to Ephesians chapter one. We receive the spirit, a measure of the spirit. He's in me. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm submerged in him. He becomes the environment in which God dunks me, saturates me, pickles me, dyes me, marinates me, however you want to say it. Those, uh, Those words all contain this idea where we're saturated. He becomes literally the environment in which we live. So that from then on, we are to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that he becomes the environment. Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Keep in step with him. Walk in the Spirit. Do everything in the Spirit. But it comes with us being submerged in him. And when that happens, then those gifts are awakened within us. I've got four minutes one problem passage that people use uh, when, when they're looking at the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I understand where they're coming from, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Let's turn there really quick. Open your iPhone or whatever you got. I want you to see this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I want to say it's like verse 13. Let's read that real quick here. I'm going to walk you through this. I was just talking about this with a dear friend of mine, an Assembly of God pastor. Look at verse 13. We'll look at verse 12. Now understand the context of this passage, okay? these This is the primary passage where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are unpacked. We have the gifts of the Father in Romans 12, the gifts from the Son in Ephesians 4, but the gifts from the Spirit are 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So he's talking about how We're all members of the body and together we are the full manifestation of who he is. And then he says this, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So let's read that again. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now I mentioned this last week. Whenever you see... Baptism, whether it's water baptism, John's baptism of repentance, whether Luke 3, whether it's Christian baptism in water into the death of Christ in Romans 6, or whether it's spirit baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there is an in a substance into an experience. That is the New Testament formula for baptism. And if you don't understand this, you can't really understand what baptism is. So in water baptism, John baptized them in water, a substance, as a prophetic act, to reveal that they had been baptized into their repentance. So John baptized them in water, into repentance, and John wouldn't baptize anybody into repentance until they already showed the fruit of their repentance. So the other element of baptism we need to understand is baptism is always after the fact. It's the sealing, it seals a reality that's already been introduced in your life. And it can actually activate that reality as a prophetic act. So repentant people, they said, we're sorry, we want, to follow. We want our hearts prepared for the Messiah. And John would baptize them in water. The Pharisees showed up and he said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. He said, bring forth fruit of repentance and I'll baptize you. You first enter in in your heart and then I will baptize you into that for all the world to see, for you to enter into that prophetic reality and lay, you're gonna bury that old man. That was the idea. Christian baptism in a substance, water, into Christ's death is is the phraseology in Romans 6. And we see that show up here in spirit baptism. So, what is the in in spirit baptism? Verse 13. We are baptized in what? One spirit. One spirit. We're baptized into one spirit. So, this is what Jesus did John baptized in water, Jesus baptizes in the spirit. I need graphs, okay? Jesus is gonna baptize us in a substance. John baptized in a substance, water. Jesus is gonna baptize us in a substance, the spirit. But there's also an into of this thing. We're baptized in one spirit, into what? Read the text. Into one body. That's the reality. In water baptism, we're baptized in water into his death. Paul said in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized in water were baptized into his death? We are buried with him through baptism. So our water baptism is the burial. We're leaving our self-life behind and we come up out of the water and like Jesus, the spirit falls upon us and awakens us. We're baptized in the spirit into one body. All of a sudden, we come out of the water and we're to live for others, for a body and realize that I am an anointed singular member of a many-parted body. I'm not the whole. I don't have it all. But I have something important. And I can't afford to be an, uh, uh, some lame appendage on the body of Christ that everybody else has to drag around. Right, right. They don't need to be doing my work. I need to be doing my part and they need to be doing their part. There are no appendixes in the body of Christ. You can't snip it off and it's not missed. And so we need one another. So when we are baptized in the Spirit, we come up and we come alive to our gifting and our role in the body of Christ. And that's why this passage is all about the gifts that the Spirit gives because the gift that the Spirit gives you designates your role in the body. Some are hearers. Some are seers. Some are feelers. Some operate in healing, some operate in miracles, some operate in discerning of spirits. But as we all function together, we can function as the body. And this is an untalked about dimension of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's very, very important for us to understand. And it's also why Jesus told his disciples, guys, don't even think about ministry until you've been empowered. You're like an unloaded gun. You got all the equipment, but there's no power. It's not just for show. God wants to anoint us to do his work. And that comes through the power of God coming upon us. So I ask you this morning, go ahead and stand you know, I'm gonna quit. I ask you. My son told me this morning, Dad, you need new jokes, I, said, I know, I know. I know. I ask you this morning, have you received the Spirit since you believed? Have you been empowered? Have you been baptized in His Spirit? Do you recognize that you need more in your life? God wants to give it to you. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He wants to come on you in power and empower you to be the answer. Gene alluded to that passage, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he hath anointed me to preach the good news, to set at liberty those who are captive. God wants to use you to touch others. He's in you for you, but on you for others. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.